Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. What's up, everybody? We're number nine in the country. Just beat Texas in Texas. Another win in Texas. Texas, Texas, Texas. All right, all right, all right. Okay. All right. That's uh, that's a lot of Texas for you. I'm just glad that we're returning from outside of the top 25 since the pundits had all but written off our season. (laughs) No, no. The the pundits had written us off. We're out of the top 25. We were actually thinking of dropping to D2. The sky was falling. The, um, we were definitely not making March madness. So I'm just glad to see we've righted the ship already. (laughs) Ridiculous. Ridiculous. But, I mean, look, that's it. That's what we got to talk about. This is the opening segment is Texas. There was no other game to talk about. That's all we got. Um, I would have enjoyed potentially bantering with you a little bit about Gonzaga Baylor had that happened, but that got COVIDed. It did. And we're going we're gonna to blame it on Baylor just because blaming it on Baylor is way yeah. more fun than blaming it on Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah Rob, so long story short here, Rob, we we have we have part, we have a friends thread with all our friends about whatever, and Rob just comes on and without evidence says it's Baylor's fault. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, it's Gonzaga's fault actually. <laughs> and I, and Rob Rob was like, I don't care, it's Baylor's yeah, fault. Yeah, no, we're, like, we're just blaming on Baylor. And I was like, you know what? It's twenty twenty. Uh, I'm fine. We'll blame it on Baylor. You know, Mark Mark Few seems like a good guy. I like what Gonzaga's doing. They're the Villanova of the West Coast. I'm going to embrace them as our as our brethren. Well, there you go. There you go. No game one versus two, but we had three versus four in Ken Palm with Villanova and Texas. So, boom. There you go. Take take it for what it's worth. Let's talk about it a little bit because this was a this was probably did it for win of the year. We'll see. Obviously, what's going to happen throughout the rest of the year. But I mean, we beat a top fifteen twenty team on the road. And there were fans in the stands. I mean, obviously it wasn't full or whatever, but there was some crowd there. And yeah. we showed up and showed out. And candidly, the final score was, I think, 68-64 we won by. But in my view, we clearly were the better team. Yeah, absolutely. This was one of these ones where I kept thinking the whole game, we're looking better, we're looking better, we're looking better than them. And just couldn't quite pull away Frankly, it wasn't a good shooting day, but looking back on it, my takeaway from this, like you said, is this is just a really good win. We made fun of Shaka Smart in the previous episode because he does not have a track record of winning, but we did say this was a losable game, and Texas came in here pretty hot, and the team that we hadn't, or the game we hadn't even talked about on the last episode was the upcoming game they had against North Carolina, who at the time was ranked number 14. And then they went and beat North Carolina. So Texas was riding high. And like you said, playing them away, yeah, limited capacity crowd, but there were fans there. And take it for what it's worth, like, it can be tough. I mean, not for Villanova playing in Texas, but it can be tough for other teams coming in there. So it's a really solid win, especially on a day when we didn't bring our A game because we did not 
shoot the ball well. 30% from three, and we only took 19 threes. I don't want to say it was the return of the mid-range, but because uh, it wasn't. <laughs> it's a little, little bit more attacking inside. But it was nice to see us be able to win through other ways and when the shots weren't quite falling for us. Yeah, it was a hard-fought game. I'm very impressed with Texas, and that was universally held. Like, a lot of analysts, and we've made fun of the pundits, but a lot of people were saying the same things that I was saying, which is that you come away from the game thinking more of Villanova, but also a lot more of Texas. Like, yeah. like, like it was a little bit back and forth early, and then it was kind of a rock fight in the second half, but we, but we prevailed through – and they kept calling it a – they kept calling it a culture win, um, which I guess I get. It makes sense. Like, uh, but it was it was a hard fought victory on a tough opponent on the road. And guess what? Those are signs of those are signs of good production come March. Like yeah. If you beat a top twenty team in a different conference on the road, you take that every single time and twice on Sunday. A hundred percent, definitely twice on Sunday. The guy I was. You know, talking about culture of the programs, the guy we talked about last episode a little bit absolutely showed up on Texas was Courtney Ramey. And that was one guy I kept saying, man, he he would just fit in so well at Villanova. He was just a hard-nosed player. He was hitting all the shots, was not backing down from anything. And I was like, that was the one one that got away. Oh, man, that was a miss. That was a miss. And that story is kind of sucky because it was – Basically, we were all ready to basically say, Ramey, come here. And like he was ready to be like, okay, I'm coming. And then all of a sudden, JQ's whole situation, Javon Quinterly's whole situation played out with Arizona. He came back on the market. We immediately took the front runner seat. We took Javon Quinterly, and Courtney Ramey did not obviously choose us because we had made a different yeah. choice. Yeah. And so Ramey came in, by the way, he played inspired basketball. He looked like a guy who felt slighted by uh, our old decision, um, as he should, because he was yeah. right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so um, neither here nor there. I mean, look, I, I came, as I said, I came away impressed with Texas. They were long, they were athletic. Um, um, they definitely hit some big shots, uh, and they bothered us defensively uh, in, in a way that I think would have resulted in a loss if this game took place in Mohegan Sun. Yeah, that's interesting. Like we talk about early season games and learning from them and improving. This team, our team, was better for what we endured at Mohegan Sun, playing long, athletic, fast team. We were much we looked much more comfortable handling Texas than we looked handling Boston College. Yeah. Like like the, the game was the game the way the game played out. We looked more comfortable versus Texas. Now I wish we could have put them away, and I think we were the better team, clearly, and I think we could have put them away with just a few more shots here and there throughout the game. But you chucked it up. I mean, obviously, you got to make shots to win the game. I mean, but you go down the list. I mean, Samuels was two for seven, though he looked better. Caleb Daniels, one for three. Gillespie was three for ten, though two for four from behind the line. And and Swider was three for nine, two for five. So, so like, we had not great shooting. Well, not yeah, and but, it, but but key moment shoot. Yeah, and I think it was the thing for me that is positive is that if I look back on it, we missed a lot of open shots, which I know that doesn't sound like a positive, but Jay's talked about that too, right? Where in the past, if you're getting the good looks and they're just not falling, 
you're going to have those days and you just keep shooting through it because presumably there's going to be a day where that's going to average out. Now, if you're, if you're forcing the shots and they're super contested, that's a totally different story. The shots we missed for the most part were good looks. So a few more of those fall, we ideally play a little bit closer to our average. This really doesn't end up to be as much of a game as it, as it did on Sunday. Yeah, there was one, there was a handful of moments. I think Colin was trying to push it a little bit to take over um, where I thought he forced it a couple times, but broadly, yeah, I mean, we missed open looks. A couple other things I want to talk about from the game. You and I have, I mean, we, we, get, we get to the same conclusion, but have a couple different thoughts on man play of the week. Yeah, yeah, go so for it. So my man play of the week is a J-Rob, Jeremiah Robinson Earl dunk where – in the first half, blew by his guy, took him baseline, just went up and slammed it home. Very, very reminiscent of Dante Cunningham blowing by Kevin Durant and and throwing it down back in, geez, that was like 2007. Seven, yeah. That um, was wild. It was a long and, and time ago. Big, big shades of that. Um, so that was my man play of the week. We got reached out to on Twitter saying that's got to be the man play of the week. I immediately agree. I didn't see anything else that would take man play of the week. I have a couple thoughts, but yeah, that's my man. play. Yeah. My, my other consideration for it was the throwdown alley-oop at the end of the game, towards the end of the game with, you know, minute, minute and a half left, which put us up five, which was huge as well. I, I will say though, there was no fight through traffic there. And I think the man play of the week is really designed to epitomize something somebody going above and beyond a real feat of manliness. And unfortunately, as much as that showed some athleticism, it didn't, it didn't bring the manliness to the table. So I guess after a little bit of thought, I'll I'll probably defer to you though. We do need to talk about the dunk. That was almost one of the greatest Villanova dunks of all time. No hyperbole whatsoever. Jermaine Samuels taking off from like a foot inside the foul line. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) cocks it back and is just ready to rain down on the state of Texas. And then fitting Jermaine fashion, just a little short. Just a little short. Came up a little short there. Oh, God. It it was a foul. And I think he sunk the free throws, but, um, or at least went one and one. But it was. It was a hell of an attempt on that dunk, but yeah, I mean, I mean, people on Twitter were talking about it. They were like, "Oh man, this is an early candidate for Miss Dunk of the Year." Yeah, like he tried to annex the entire state of Texas with that dunk. Yeah, no, I mean that was that was wild. When he took off, I was like, "No, he didn't just jump I, at that moment." I think <laughs> I, I want to give him credit for like, "Oh yeah, he was confident as shit," and it's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna bury this." No, I think he absolutely just mistimed his jump, and it was got yeah. halfway up there. I was like. Ah uh, shit! This isn't gonna go well, and <laughs> it didn't go well. That's all right. It's all right. It got the the foul absolutely pulled him out. That was such a bailout. That was unreal. Oh, totally. Um, and only other play I want to call out as a man play of the week, and we typically don't do this, um, and we're not giving the award just to be clear, but it's the honorable mention for me is Cole Swider's three um, that created the separation that ultimately won us the game. Like that was a huge moment. Like, and it was perfect form. I mean like textbook stuff, catch the ball, up fake, get the guy off balance, slide dribble to the left, boom, buries the three wide open. I mean, it was, it was textbook stuff. That's why you have Swider on the floor on offense, and he looked good doing it. We, give, we definitely have our fair share of shit that we give Swider on this podcast, but if we want to keep our credibility, 
which I don't know if we have any, but yeah. we'll just assume yeah. that we have some. Yeah. We'll have assume we assume we have some. Let's assume we got um, a little bit. We got a little bit. Yeah. We want to have any credibility. You got to acknowledge that and be fair. That was an amazing shot. That was a key moment. That was clutch. That was everything that you want and just perfect form all the way throughout. So credit to Cole. Looks good shooting the ball early this year. We'll give him that credit. Honorable mention for man played the week. Um, we need to stop, though, because while we sing his praises, we also <laughs> need to stop and talk about his regular deficiencies, which obviously we've been talking about for weeks now. The announcers, a year. a year, the announcers were not letting up on him. He was getting absolutely roasted by the announcing crew. I don't know if a memo went out or what that was like, hey, guys, talking point is Cole Swider can't move laterally and is terrible at defense. But it got brought up multiple times throughout the game. I was like, is somebody watching our practices? Like, I, I don't know what's happening here. It was, it was borderline embarrassing. That said, though, that said, though, and he definitely got blown by a couple times. I was impressed. Three, yes. three possessions, Swider gets backed into the post and actually held his own against a guy yes. much, much bigger than him. Three possessions in like a pretty short span. And, you know, one of them, he let up a rebound. They follow up. But I was like, the dude actually held his own there. Now, he did get burned again, as we mentioned, a couple other times. But I was like, all right, that's better than nothing. I'll take better than nothing with Cole Swider. Yeah. No, it looks, it's clearly more comfortable for him to, to be more post-oriented. Yes. He's yes. not, grant, granted, he's still not the strongest guy down the post either. But he won't get beat on speed. Yes. Um down low may get beat on strength but he's he's pretty big tall so so and he's got decent length so like he can he's a little bit better suited in the post um defending that area but yeah totally totally agree on both accounts um those three possessions definitely were key in the game and i thought that he definitely held his own uh down there at the same time yeah the announcer's really going all in and at one point in time dana o'neill tweeted cole swider may not be able to defend me but, 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 man, he makes some big shots sometimes. And I was it's like, terrible. man, Dana, like, what's happened? Like, Dana's, why is Cole? Yeah, like she's like she has like no digs normally. She's just going into yeah. it's, it's bad. Yeah, just just like take the bus, run him over, back <laughs> it up, run him over again, and oh then go God. forward and run him over a third time. Hundred percent, a lot. Yeah, it really it, was. it was wild. Um, should we talk about Alpha Dog now, or should we come back to it when we're done with the game? I'm pretty close to done with the game, so let's let's talk Alpha Dog. Let's oh, talk a little Alpha I've Dog got now. so many more takes. All right, let's do Alpha Dog. Right. I think Alpha Dog for me has to be the guy who was a little quiet in the first week of the season, Justin Moore. He came oh. out absolutely attacking the hoop and totally set to set the tempo for the game. Now, J. Rob obviously ended up with 19 as well, and Justin quieted down a little bit. But he was just out there like, this is how we're going to go. We're going to attack the hoop. We're going to score. I'm playing with confidence. I am here to take my Sadiq Bay role that Rob talked me up throughout the preseason. So here I am. <laughs> the dude was just like ready to go. So yeah. Justin Moore absolutely gets my off him. Uh, to arf, me, arf. Arf, arf. To me, I'm with you. I'm going with Justin Moore. I do have to talk about J-Rob. I'll get back to Justin Moore in a second. I talk about J-Rob. Look, the guy is incredible. The guys, enjoy him while he lasts. Like, this is not lasting long. We are not going to have J-Rob for much longer. Like, like, he's just really, really fucking good. He can play at all three levels. Um, he defends every position. 
obviously if he's guarding a one, he's he's steps slow, but like, come on, like he guard two through five. Um, He's great. He's got great rebounding. Like one thing that we haven't talked about this year yet, but was definitely available that we saw last year and came up clear this year is that he's got such a great sense of ball of of the ball when it's on the basket, like Mm. from a rebounding perspective, like he's so good at that. He's got such good moves. He's, he's quicker than he looks like, I, I, there's just so much to, good to say about about J. Rob. Also, a person to mention is Colin. Um, and when when Colin went out with two fouls early in that game, we got slaughtered. Like it was ugly. And and then Colin coming back in steadied the ship. And Colin needs to play a lot of minutes. Like we just need. And uh, Dana O'Neill had a great article in the Athletic about it. I think that came out today that Villanova straight up just needs Colin Gillespie on the floor. Um, that we may, we probably shouldn't, but we do. Um, and Villanova relies very heavily on Colin Gillespie. That being said, I don't think you can award someone the alpha dog of the week for a lack of being on the court and that showing that he needs to be on the court. No, so especially because not being on the court implies that why weren't you on the court? Likely because you were in foul trouble, which that's not an alpha dog move, man. Not an alpha dog move, that's alpha not- dog. Stay on the floor. So, <laughs> that's right. That's so, right. so, so, what do we have? Justin Moore. He set the tone. He was he he was hot early. He was hot late. He just looked good all the way. Very steady throughout the game. Five or six from from free throws. Two four from beyond the arc and six for nine overall night. Um, nice. Nineteen points. Yeah, nineteen points. Just kid. Kid just looked all all nails like throughout the game. Like so, Justin Moore definitely takes the alpha dog of the week for me and you cool. so and me yes. all right all right last couple of quick takes about the game um a couple of things that stood out to me as well that i want want to mention jermaine samuels the shot is still not falling but something that is growing on me is jermaine as a slasher either coming yeah. off a screen or coming off a pump fake he showed some aggression this game and it seems to be working doesn't always get the finish but he picked up a couple fouls doing that and if that's going to be his role that totally works for me because we don't need him to be a lights-out three-point shooter. We have plenty of other guys who are going to do that. So if, as long as he can make a convincing shot fake or come off a screen and attack the hoop under control and get up a good shot, I am all for that. So sign me up for Jermaine yeah. as the slasher. You also can't mention this game without mentioning – I mean, Samuels had 12 boards. Like yeah. So he has eight points, 12 boards. Like he was critical. Like this team does not win this game without Jermaine's rebounding. So uh, we've talked at length in the last podcast about all the things Jermaine needs to work on, how we're disappointed that he didn't come out with a hotter, hotter start. Like, like that, that we really shouldn't be building confidence in a senior player in a senior season. Like it's not really how he should have started, but holding out hope for Jermaine is the right thing to do. And he was a critical cog 12 boards, like having a guy who's willing to do the dirty work is so key. And what I think will happen, you will see, maybe not as a direct line, but eventually you'll get there from this game. This game will be the key to him growing his confidence. He'll continue to be more aggressive. And I think you'll see Jermaine go from that X factor to reliable source later in the year. May not be from scoring, but from boards and making timely decisions and, and being aggressive and mixing it up at the right time from that perspective. I, I like it. 
Um, and last guy I want to hit on just quickly is Dixon. I like the minutes we're seeing. He only played seven minutes in this game, but he seems relatively confident what he's in there. Defensively, he had an amazing possession. I think it was right towards the end of the first half where one of the guards, he ended up uh, one-on-one with one of the guards on Texas. Dude tried to drive the hoop. He stayed in front of him and actually forced him out of bounds. And it just showed incredible agility for somebody that size and awareness not to draw the foul. So he's doing pretty well in my book on the defensive front. Offensively, he was 0 for 3. But I will say this. I actually like the 0 for 3 because he had the confidence to take three shots. He didn't really hesitate. He got the ball in the post, couple dribbles, put it up. Yeah, they didn't go in. But I like the fact that he's confident enough to say, you know what, I'm going to take a shot at this. And I also like the fact that Jay has at least not told him not to shoot. So he has at least a yellow light to put up shots occasionally, which I think does do a lot for the offense. You know, we'll see how it evolves. And especially if DCR makes his way back, fine. Those minutes may, may get reduced. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But I do like what I'm seeing from Dixon. He seems like somebody who's going to be a serviceable player as the year goes on and somebody we can rely on a little bit at least to give some defensive minutes if J-Rob ends up in foul trouble. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, look, with the rotation today, I think um, yesterday, I think you can, I think you can clearly see that Jay's got a clear eight-man rotation. Um, seven guys who are clearly going to see a lot of minutes, and with Dixon being the half. And I think let's pivot out of. Let's pivot out of the game feedback and discussion. Pivot a little bit towards what's a make of what's to come for two guys who are currently not playing uh, with Antoine and Demir Cosby Roundtree. Indeed. The mystery shoulder and the mystery shit. Yeah. So reading an article earlier this week uh, in The Athletic, it was by um, CJ Holmes, who's new covering uh, the, the villain of a team and we've actually exchanged some DMs with him and really nice guy and, and I'm looking forward to his coverage. Uh, but but besides that, the he pointed out that in, in, in his article in The Athletic that Jay told him that basically the injury report is prognosis is not great right now for Dada and Brian Antoine, that both neither are practicing. Now we talked about a little bit earlier that Antoine can't move his shoulder in a certain way, um, but can do certain activities. So when he's saying not practicing, does that mean he's not doing any activities? I don't know the the, the jargon um, all there, but he, he's certainly not on the court with the team by any stretch of the imagination. And he did also say affirmatively in the uh, that Demir Cosby Roundtree is that whatever fracture, whatever he's got going on is – is worse than originally thought. And his timetable is at least another month. So my overall takeaway from that read is that we're not seeing either of them on the court until January at the earliest. Jeez. It's a long time. Uh, and with, with, I, it sounds crazy being only five games in, but at the same time, you could already see Jay starting to get comfortable in, in a, in a lineup and a chemistry developing between the, the seven, eight guys who, who, who play significant minutes on this team. And you just you're left to wonder, there aren't a lot of holes to fill. Yeah, which is kind of wild because if you think about what Dada's bringing to the table and what Dixon's bringing to the table, yes, Dada is going to be stronger defensively, but offensively, more seasons, more season for sure. 
but like you know the general spots are are going to be somewhat similar and like yeah i don't i don't know there's there's not that much of a fall off like there's a fall off but it's not the end of the world that's for sure yeah my, my mind you dixon already took a red shirt year too so yeah. like so there is a there is a desire to get dixon in there and get him you know whatever this is not intended to be like a like, yeah, obviously you want Dixon to develop this year. So there's a development year. For but this sure. is a year that Dixon needs to be on the court for, you know, at least five, ten minutes a game. Yep. So so, so where does Dada's minutes come from when you factor in that you have potentially a first-round draft pick in JRE and, and Dixon, both of whom, by the way, we know can shoot the three. Um, and Dada's not shown that to be part of his repertoire. Yep. So – so, uh, I, look, I love Demir Cosby Roundtree. I think he's been awesome his entire career. I, I, and, and typically, he's actually done a lot of good work early in the season. But here's a guy who Jay's going to have to find a way to get him back into the rotation once he's healthy. Or you ask the question, does he not? There is no – you don't need to redshirt this year because the NCAA ruled that, like, you don't lose any eligibility. Does Dada come back next year? I don't think that there's minutes for Colin and Jermaine to come back. I think that they have pro careers ahead of them, whether that be here or in Europe. But, but I think that you got to ask that question for Dada. All right. Well, I think we covered most of the stuff from Texas. That was a lot of Texas. Um, if you didn't get enough of it, there's a straight half hour of content for you. Um, so we've got a few games coming up that we're going to cover with this. Though we actually don't play again until, what is it, Friday against Georgetown? Weird, weird yeah. schedule. So we play Friday on my birthday, December 11th. Woot, woot. Yeah, so everyone who listens, wish me a happy birthday. I'm going to be pissed. Um, <laughs> um, no, I'm not one, of those, not one of those guys. That being said, yeah, we got three games we're going to cover here. Before we get into that, let's talk a little bit logistics about our timing of the podcast because – as we've talked about multiple times, we're doing our best in terms of working out the schedule with COVID and everything. Right now we have uh, the DePaul game. Uh, uh, sorry, the Georgetown game, the DePaul game, and the Butler game. Which are coming up on Friday. Um, Monday, is it, for DePaul? And Wednesday. Yeah. Totally weird schedule. Super weird. Um, I never played Monday, Wednesday before. It's so <laughs> odd. But anyway, so we have those three games to start the Big East season. Uh, we can talk about what we think about those teams in a second. But then we have uh, – we play uh, Virginia the following Saturday, followed by Marquette, who's coming off a big win against Wisconsin, uh, the following Wednesday. And that leads right up to uh, Christmas. So what we're going to do is we're going to play these next three games. We're going to cover the next three games on this podcast here. Play those games. Come to you right away after the Butler game with a quick recap – followed by a prep for the Virginia and Marquette games. And then after Christmas, we will cover those Virginia and Marquette games, followed by a full Big East preview. Yep. So for now, what we're going to do, even though we're playing four Big East games in this, in this intervening period, we're going to cover a little bit of a Big East preview, but more just a little taster. Um, and then we'll do a, a more robust preview before Christmas, I mean, sorry, after Christmas, but before New Year's. Perfect. All right. Should we get into our Big East teaser preview? Yeah. Rob and I have different thoughts on this. We're going to separate our thoughts and tickers of teams. Um, Rob, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. So for me, it's too early to tell for a lot of stuff. 
But I've basically got three tiers in my Big East. I've got, and if you listen to our, our live pod, you heard a little bit of this, but my tier one is Villanova and Creighton. Those are two top teams. They are top 10, top 15 throughout the year expected. Um, so you'll be looking for them come March, come April, whenever the tournament happens. Then I'm going to skip down and go to my tier three, which is basically these teams suck, expect nothing from them. The good news is we've, we're actually playing three of them coming up, but that's Butler, St. John's, DePaul, and Georgetown. These guys have no chance of doing anything this year. Ton of new faces, which we'll get into in just a few minutes. Expectations are very low. And then you've got everybody else. So that leaves five other teams. Providence, UConn, Seton Hall, Marquette, Xavier. Off to varying starts to the year. Some a little bit better than others. UConn looking decent. Marquette got a big win the other day. But for me, it's all too early to tell a whole lot more about those teams. Other than, yeah, we think some of them will probably make the tournament. Some of them won't. I don't want to read, similar to how we didn't read too much into the start of our schedule and our performance, I don't want to read too much into the start of their teams and their performance either. So that's like your tier two for me is just those jumble of five teams. Expect a couple, at least a couple of those to make the tournament and to have some competitive games against them. So that's it for me. Three tiers, Villanova and Creighton at the bottom. St. John's, DePaul, Butler, Georgetown. Villanova Creighton at the bottom. Villanova, yeah, 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 yikes. We're not Georgetown here. Um, At the top, and then you hit the bottom, Georgetown, DePaul, Butler, and St. John's. Everybody else in the middle. That's all I got. Chris, what do you got? All right, I got four tiers. I'm going to be a little bit more decisive than you were. I have the same tier one. Villanova and Creighton are the same tier one. I am also going to skip down to my final tier, which is tier four, technically. Put DePaul and Georgetown in in a league of their own. Um, (laughs) A league of their own. A class by themselves. Yeah, they're bad. Um, DePaul (laughs) just has shit pedigree and and lost key players. Georgetown has, and we'll get into this more in their preview, but nine new players on the team. Um, Lost everybody to trainers. Mac McClung is a Texas Tech. Like, and they lost players in the middle of last year. It's just a fucking mess in Washington, D.C., which I guess that's a common thread of 2020. Um, so that leaves two other tiers and I'm willing to actually put a, put my chips in the deck. I'm going to be a little bit stronger than you put my chips in the deck and call out the two tiers of the middle guy. So tier two, so tier two being the better tier, I have Connecticut, Marquette and Xavier. And I just believe in Dan Hurley and, and, and the UConn Huskies. I think that they are looking good. Um, obviously, they're looking covid right now um, since they just got shut down. They just paused, um, yeah. Yeah, they just paused. But I still think that they're going to be real tough this year. I have high hopes for, for UConn. Um, Marquette, look, we all know on this podcast that I fucking hate Steve Wojciechowski. <laughs> But it looks early. I mean, they beat Wisconsin, and Wisconsin had been knocking off teams, and people had been really high on them. So, so like, maybe it was just a catch by surprise. Maybe they're catching me by surprise. But you knock off a top-10 team early on in the season and, and otherwise look good early on, like, you get my attention. So I'm, I'm, I'm including Marquette in there for now. We'll see when we do the full preview if I still have them there. And then Xavier's off to a 6-0 and start. Fresh off beating Cincinnati in the Crosstown shootout, 
which is always a good litmus test um, for Xavier early in the season. One of my favorite games to watch every year, always hard fought. Uh, but I always take that as a good sign that Xavier is probably potentially a tournament team and could potentially win um, several games in the Big East and at least be a tough out. Several the season. several games in the East. They'll win three yeah, games. Yeah, no, 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 no. You know what I mean. Um, so that's my tier two. Uh, tier three is Providence, Seton Hall, Butler, and St. John's. So I expect Providence and Seton Hall to be on the upper end of that tier. Um, they're both off to Rocky starts. Now, yeah. that might mean – and Rocky could mean a couple different things. That can mean just, hey, they're just feeling them out. Like Seton Hall lost Powell, obviously one of the best players in program history. Um, so, so obviously they got to work themselves out. But I believe in Kevin Willard. Um, and they still got a lot of guys coming back to that team. So I have good, I have high hopes for Seton Hall. Um, and Providence, Ed Cooley last year looked straight up bad in November. And by December, they were top four in the Big East and were good. So, like, I am and beat us late in that year. So I am thinking, hey, I'm going to give Ed Cooley, I'm not putting them in a low tier for any stretch of the imagination. I'll give them a little bit of a pass early on, but still putting them in peer, tier three right now because you can't lose a ton of games early in a shortened season. Um, and then finally, Butler's not good. No. Um, lost a lot of people. But St. John's, I give a little bit of a nod as like a potential upstart. They got better at the end of last year. I like their coach. Seems to be trying to build a little bit of a culture at St. John's as opposed to being flash and dash like Mullen was. So I'm I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, watch out, St. John's making the tournament. I'm not going to sit there and say that. But St. John's could surprise people in this season. They are, in my view, a tier above DePaul and Georgetown. So when I take Tier 2 and Tier 3, I take Tier 2 as I expect these teams to make the dance. I take Tier 3 as these teams could make the dance. We'll see how that shuffles out in the next couple of weeks before our preview, but that's my early take problem. All right, good stuff. Yes, St. John's would absolutely be a surprise to me if they made the tournament. That is the key word. Yeah, agree. All right, so so we've got basically the bottom of the Big East is who we're going to play for the next couple games. So should we talk about it? Yeah, yep, yep. So we got Georgetown coming up, my birthday, December 11th, Friday. Um, We actually typically almost always play a rivalry game. This has just been a random historical thing that I've noticed on my birthday because it's my birthday. Um, is that we seem to always play rival. Like we, when we lost to Penn two years ago, it was on my birthday. Um, but we, we play St. Joe's often on my birthday, like Temple. This time, first time I can remember playing Georgetown because we're starting the Big East season very early this year. Yeah. Um, um, so we're playing Georgetown. They suck. Nine new players. They're not good. The only thing I'll say is that they gave West Virginia a little bit of a not a scare, but a little bit of a they got a little rise out of West Virginia. Um, I mean, yes, they, they still lost by nine. Let's not give them yeah. too much credit. Like they're yeah, they're not... they're one and two. The only players effectively they're bringing back are Javon Javon Blair and Jamarco Jamarco Pinkett, however you pronounce his name. Like they're just not a good team. You should no, not expect not anything from this. These guys are an absolute mess. This program is in disarray. Man, if you go on the Hoyas message boards, these people have no idea what the fuck is happening anymore. It's terrible. They're playing their games. I mean, they've got it. They're playing their games in McDonough. 
which is their on-campus arena. This is akin to us playing our games in Jake Nevin. And look, the reason for it is because otherwise they play most of their home games in, I don't know if it's the Verizon Center still or if it's called something different, basically the NBA arena where the Wizards play in D.C. And obviously it doesn't make economic sense to play games there. So they're playing in this shit gym, which reflects the shit state of their program right now. Patrick Ewing is... I mean, look, you try to give him a lot of credit. You wanted, you wanted him to succeed. It has just not worked. The loss of McClung, the transfer of McClung, and then for him to get immediate eligibility, just a further kick in the face this year. They are an absolute mess. They do have a good recruiting class supposed to come in next year, but unfortunately, it's not next year. It's this year, and they're going to be terrible. We should walk all over these guys. Yeah, no debate. I can't figure out what the fuck's going on with Patrick Ewing in D.C., can't figure it out for the life of me because I actually think he's not bad coaching wise, um, but clearly his players are not responding to. Him. Um, he's so had what t- I'm hope had a ton of turnover, a ton yeah. of turnover there. So what I'm hopeful is that they give him another run through a recruiting process, and whatever er- errors he made, he corrects that, writes that ship, and gets back on track. Um, because I want them to be not good, but not horrible. Because it's not it's an ugly look for them to be horrible. Um, a team who I don't give a fuck about being is DePaul. So let's talk about them next. DePaul can fucking suck all the time forever. You need a team in your conference who always fucking sucks. And DePaul is a great candidate for that team. I don't give one shit about DePaul. But I'm fine <laughs> that they're there. I'm fine that they're there. They suck. They've lost. Who is it? Paul. Paul Reed. Paul, Paul Reed. I almost, call, I almost called him Paul Rudd. <laughs> No, definitely not. He did. They did get somebody drafted. Paul Reed actually got drafted. You yeah. may not have known him unless you actually followed DePaul closely, but he was he was pretty good. He got drafted 58th. I think he's on the Sixers. He signed a two-way contract. So kudos to them. They got somebody drafted. But unfortunately, that means he is no longer on their team. Yeah. So they've got, I mean, they're led by Charlie Moores, their, their big guy returning this year. But they are very much not expected to be any good. Dave Lato does a great job leading middling programs. If you remember last year, they started off like 15 and one and then proceeded to lose like 13 games in a row or something yeah, like that. It was, it, was, it was really impressive how many games they lost there. So I don't, it's not like they brought in anybody that's going to turn the, the program around. So it's like, it's another year of, eh, okay, they weren't very good this year. They, they lost a the key cog and didn't really bring anybody in. So Eh, it, it should be another another easy win for us. So so just to recap here for those keeping score at home, we expect to be two zero in the Big East um, by a week from now. What's your uh, what's your margin of victory in those two games? All right, so Georgetown, I think it's going to be ten. All right, I'm going to go fifteen against Georgetown. Okay, fine. DePaul, I don't think that I don't think DePaul's in for a fun time. <laughs> this DePaul is... has played no games this year. So far. oh, that's right, we forgot about that. Yes, because DePaul. Yeah got the COVID yeah. and put everything on pause. They canceled their first three games. They have played zero games so far. Now I do think they play a game before they play us. I might That's be correct. wrong. But no, you're I correct. Think they, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, they're, they're going to come into the pavilion with like two games, uh, a game under their belt and like having to have to put the program on pause. So like no practice, it's not going to go well. You're, you're totally right. This is a gigantic mismatch because of those reasons. Like, even if they had been practicing, this should have been 
a 10, 15 point win. The fact that they haven't been practicing and this is going to be their second game, they're fucked. Yeah. Oh, they're big. They're <laughs> F U C T fucked. Like this, this should be this 20, is, 20 plus points. Yeah. I'm thinking 20 plus points here. I really am. Like, other than Hartford, we haven't really buried a team this year, but I think we should bury DePaul. We should absolutely um, bury DePaul. If we do not, yeah. that's that's yeah. gonna you're gonna look back and be like, ooh, yeah. that, no, it's not great. And Butler is another team that had to be on a little bit of a COVID hold. They're only like one and up. Yeah. Or something, I believe. I think they I think that's another team that played one or two games they before have, they play us more. They have one yeah. yeah, they've they have one game so far on balance. And also, I think like we alluded to, lost everybody. Everybody, yep. Kamar Baldwin, Sean McDermott, some of their role players, Leaf Battle. And one of the weirdest decisions of the NBA draft was Jordan Tucker, who, if you remember, Jordan Tucker played really one of the strangest college, college careers ever. So he's a, a four-star recruit. We lightly recruited him. He ends up, he was like ranked number 50th, whatever, ends up committing to Duke his senior year, like late in his senior year after they've signed this crazy good recruiting class. Comes into Duke, gets zero playing time, and then in like November, early December says, oh, I'm going to transfer. Decides to transfer to Butler. Okay, great. Seems like a good decision. Plays like a year, like a year and a half at, um, at Butler. And he was, he was a nice player. He was a good player for a decent Big East team. But for some reason, decides to put his name in the draft last year. So you're like, okay, sure, put your name in the draft. Like, no reason not to. Then decides to keep his name in the draft. And then <laughs> the su- surprising no one did not get drafted. Like, he had zero chance of getting drafted. This is, this is a, a, more of a reach than when Dominic Cheek put his name in the draft. Like, Jordan yeah. Tucker had zero chance to get drafted. But anyway, it's just another player who is not on Butler's roster this year. So yeah. point being, they have no one on this team. Yep. Yep. So this is going to be another one where we should win this pretty handily. Yeah. No, uh, look, I totally agree. We're playing at home again in the quiet pavilion, which is no different than any other year. And so, yeah, I mean, I expect to beat them by more than 10, uh, 10, 15 point victory. Uh, this is, is the team that we should beat again. Right? So I think we start off the Big East season 3-0. and It's kind of like a little bit of a fake news 3-0, and only because it's, three of the weaker teams and we got two of them at home, but wins are wins. And we're look, we've already gotten two wins against ranked teams. So now it's, we're already into the compiling wins part of our season. Like obviously we got, we got UVA, which is our last big opportunity for an out of conference, um, big W, uh, but two out of three, we've played two opponents. We've played three opponents who are ranked at this point in the season. Obviously one was not ranked when we first played them Two on a neutral site, one away. We're two and one in those games. UVA is their next opportunity at a neutral site, although it's MSG. And then we have, and then we have the Big East schedule. Um, and who knows if we're going to reschedule the Big Five? I mean, we could be coming to you with a surprise podcast, being like, "Oh wait, we're playing all Big Five <laughs> games in the next five days." Yeah. Um, but the reality of the situation is, is that we're already in a compiling win this point of the season. Like we've already done enough work in our out of conference to get us a bid in the NCAA tournament. Now we got to win games. Not that we're looking for only a bid, but we're looking and we're looking we're looking for a high, a very high seed, one one or two seed this year. But win games. That's that's the end of the that's the that's the end of the story. So 
So look, if we get a couple more games to warm up a little bit and get used to it and stay COVID free, hopefully, then then that's all it is. So go three and zero this week, and then yeah. get ready for Virginia. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's I think that's pretty much it. Should we wrap that's it up? It. That's it. That's the podcast. That's the podcast. We try to keep it really focused this this week. As I said again, three games after the next game on after the third game, which is on Wednesday for now. Um, we will come to you with another podcast. We'll update you on Twitter and Instagram at the full 40. If we have any other updates to provide you. Uh, but for now, that's what you can expect. And we'll be back to you to prep for the Virginia game. Thanks everybody for listening. And as always, let's go Nova. Let's go Nova.